It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Tuesday. Hope you're doing well. Scott Foster in here along with Jason Jorgensen, Bob Rogan, Susan Littlefield, all getting us caught up on stuff. Let's uh, begin our day with Susan Littlefield. Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. I'll kick everything off at 1219 as I speak with Mary Kay Thatcher. She's the senior lead of federal government relations for Syngenta. We talk about President-elect Biden. Then at 1245, Alex will step in and she'll talk about the virtual cheese contest. This is part two of a segment that aired yesterday. And wrapping up everything at 117, Bryce talks about conditions producers should look for when applying anhydrous in the fall. That's a look at the midday from the farm team. All right, very well. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it. We turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. Jason, I talked a little bit to Phil Truex. Boy, the DHMs are sure going to be tough for schools this year. Yeah, this they're winter. trying to find a way to have high school basketball and winter sports in general. Uh, be sure to check ahead this year schedules they might be changed a little bit also they will be doing things a little differently and maybe the biggest thing to come out from the governor uh, yesterday was that only immediate family members are being asked to uh, attend high school events you know and 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 with the 25 percent occupancy stuff schools that have bigger gyms are going to be helped out a little bit so uh, we'll just cross it uh, each day and each week Uh, we didn't know if we'd make it through fall and they found a way to get it done uh, Nebraska is trying to hold its own basketball tournament coming up here toward the tail end of November. They will play these games. Some of them will take place at Pinnacle Bank Arena, where they will allow a little bit of crowd, up to 25%. The other games will take place at a Vanning Center, where no fans will be allowed. But they're calling this this Golden Window Tournament. Happens November 25th through the 29th. Also speaking of basketball, the MIAA preseason men's and women's basketball polls are out. UNK women should be pretty good. Yeah, uh, They won 26 games a year, and Coach Amy brings back everybody and some talented newcomers. They are predicted to finish second in the conference standings. Over on the men's side of things, stands to reason Northwest Missouri would be the favorite. They've only won the league seven years in a row. Uh, UNK men are predicted to finish 10th. If you'd like to see the complete rundown of how everything stacks up, you can find that at krvn.com. Seems hard to believe, although it shouldn't, but uh, hard to believe the Lopers will begin the season next week at home on Thursday night against Emporia State. We'll have those games over on the river and on 106.9 in Kearney. Yeah, that is, it does feel, it, it, this whole year, yeah, every, the timing is off on everything, but it doesn't feel like it's time for that yet. It doesn't. It's crazy. Oh, well, that's good. It's good that we have it. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jason. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. Looks like stocks uh, a little mixed today, huh? Well, they were slowing a little bit. Um, we'll have to see how things shake out. Optimism still plenty high that the uh, global economy is going to get back on track for a return to normal. It is the uh, second day that rising hopes for a COVID-19 vaccine have investors reordering which stocks they see winning and losing. American employers advertised slightly more jobs in September, but hired fewer people as the U.S. economy was uh, struggling to recover from last spring's coronavirus collapse. And big news for Blair today, Governor Pete Ricketts involved in uh, virtually talking about that. Uh, Some big news for Blair. All right, let's continue our midday with Clay Patton. As we go now to Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity. 
Mike, uh, looking across, a lot of bullish momentum has entered the grain complex following the WASD, but l- truly looking through the data from your take, did we continue to feed the bull, or is the bear going to get a little bit of a lunch here today? I don't think the bull's going to be messed with today, Clay, and I say that because you didn't have anything outright negative or anything that was a surprise to the trade um, that was not friendly. And I think that's where these reports here the last three or four months have gotten more accustomed to getting a more favorable USDA update. And so when we saw the corn ending stocks drop to 1.7 billion bushels, that was well below the lowest trade guess. That was done not just with a yield cut, but also an export increase. And even with that export increase um, being offset somewhat by a drop in feed and residual, the market knows that that feed and residual is kind of a catch-all number. And so we have a lot of livestock to feed, and the market knows that. So I think the corn overrides the bearishness in this market going into the close because these were big, big reductions. Um, You did also see a pretty substantial world-ending stocks reduction in the corn, um, and that also helps to support, too. Now, yesterday we saw Conab. Now, granted, they focused mainly on Brazil, but they're increasing their expectations for Brazilian soybean production, but we see USDA dropping Argentinian. Is there anything to glean from that type of information? Yeah, I mean, I think what we have to understand about those two different countries is Brazil has a lot more time to make up for lost time when it comes to weather, whereas Argentina is more like the United States when it comes to getting their crops in at a specific time. And if they can't, then they're going to have to shift to something else. That would suggest to me that the idea that the corn continues to be the better commodity to store, the better commodity to look for higher cash prices uh, is still in the works because of what we're seeing with the Argentine bean production being cut. If that's the case, while they may try and plant a little bit more corn, they're not going to stick their necks out, and we can kind of get a solid number on the corn as well. Now, the, we're seeing a lot of headlines, and USDA even stated it. This could be the tightest, if realized, that's the big question there, if realized, though, the tightest corn stock since 2013-2014, the tightest bean stock since 14 through 16. That's when we saw super high commodity prices. Do we have the framework right now to truly try and take a run at that, or are we going to see technical resistance before then? Well, we'll see the funds and the technical resistance come out just like we do every year. But when you have a weather market, it really does start to become just about one simple thing, rationing demand until the weather stops uh, being inclement and stops cutting production. And so until we see the weather pattern shift, you're probably going to continue to see this market want to ration demand. The question is, do you start hedging for profit because you're at profitable levels and come back in and defend those hedges? That's where I'm at in 21 because it did me a good job in 20. And I'd say that especially given that maybe some of these weather models are starting to project more precip for the driest areas of these key growing regions, both here in the United States and also in South America as we get into the end of November. So I think you've you got to play it more by the weather, unfortunately. It makes it a lot more difficult. Ten seconds, Mike. Can you expl- see anything in the livestock trade? Well, I think your grain livestock spreading is going to continue. It doesn't surprise me the feeders are down. doesn't surprise me the fats are taking some premium off. we really got to watch those hogs, though, because they're back to a technical level. We really don't want to take out to the downside. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Learn more at globalcomresearch.com. Mention the Rural Radio Network. Receive a two-week free trial on Mike's newsletter and analysis. But do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. 
See the latest in farm and livestock equipment, real estate, shop organization, irrigation, marketing, and an ag college. KRVN The River and Cami traveled the state to bring you these experts in their field. View these informative videos on your phone, iPad, or computer. Just go to krvn.com and follow the link to the Harvest Roadshow. That's where you'll find the videos and an online form to register to win a $450 Zomatic Pivot Gearbox. The Harvest Roadshow, available now on krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And we've got uh, Paul Perkins in here. And Paul, we uh, we seem to get a little bit of, uh, well, you know, it was interesting yesterday, wasn't it? How that the amounts of snow kind of all of a sudden they said was going to increase. Yes, uh, they saw some uh, major changes in the forecast bundles because, yeah, yesterday at this time we were only thinking maybe less than an inch of uh, moisture or of snow and maybe a light coating of some uh, Mm -hmm. icy precipitation or drizzle. But uh, that changed quickly later in the afternoon uh, with forecast amounts of about uh, two to five inches of snow. And it pretty much came to fruition across areas uh, to the north of I-80 in Nebraska. We had reports of three to four inches of snow from about the Nebraska Panhandle to just west of North Platte. Many other locations, about one to three inches of snow. But the main story is ice storm conditions from northeast Nebraska down into south central parts of Nebraska, anywhere from Clay Center in Hastings up to West Point to north of Omaha. Many locations reporting about a half an inch of ice on many tree limbs. And of course, a lot of tree limbs down and as a result of some power outages. And it's still going there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still more coming. Exactly. Yeah, a snow continues to fall across northeast Nebraska, especially from about Albion and Columbus and points off towards the northeast. And the Storm Prediction Center continuing to indicate that they could see about an inch or two one to two inches of snow per hour for the afternoon hours as that system does start to exit off towards the northeast. Right now, still a little bit of light snow in central parts of Nebraska from Grand Island to, or make that from O'Neill to just north of the St. Paul area. Also some scattered areas of snow from Ainsworth to Broken Bow, but everybody pretty much out of the snow now. Uh, temperatures are continuing to be into the upper thir- 20s to the low 30s and actually starting to see some sunshine from North Platte and McCook on into the western half of Kansas. Our skies will continue to clear through tonight as high pressure moves overhead and low pressure exits to the east. A hard freeze likely tonight with overnight lows on into the 20s. With westerly downslope winds, our temperatures will be much warmer for tomorrow, but still slightly cooler than normal. Thursday will be cooler with highs in the 40s when a cold front dives to the south. A sustained warming trend gets underway for Friday and lasts all the way through early next week. Slightly cooler than normal temperatures for Friday will warm to Seasonal to levels over the weekend, slightly milder than normal. Temperatures are expected by early next week. A moisture-starved disturbance could bring us a quick shot of some rain or snow by Friday night. In our long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures, very likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the rest of the central and eastern U.S. for Sunday through November 23rd. Nebraska and Kansas likely to be mainly dry with below normal precipitation predicted for Sunday through the 23rd. In the markets, key weather factors include continued 
few promising chances for rain in most of Brazil's crop areas and varying amounts of rain for international wheat regions. Here in the U.S., snow spreading from here in Nebraska will end tonight across the Great Lakes. Disruption in harvest will occur across the eastern Midwest and delay the final staging corn harvest. For soybeans, the harvest is complete in Nebraska and North Dakota and more than 95% complete in Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. In the southeast plains, the week ahead features periods of showers further improving their weak conditions ahead of dormancy. For the western sectors of the southern plains, they will remain mainly dry or with only light precipitation. More than a fifth of the winter wheat is rated very poor to poor in Nebraska, Colorado, Kansas, and Texas. Russian wheat areas will continue to be mainly dry through the coming week, where wheat is still likely to go dormant with soil moisture deficits. Australia's wheat areas indicated to see light showers the next seven days. The rain will offer useful summer crop moisture while causing only slight disruption to the wheat harvest. Brazil crop areas have continued promising rainfall forecasts through the rest of the week. Moderate to locally heavy amounts are forecast for northern and central Brazil with useful crop moisture. Rio Grande do Sul in the far south will see some lighter rains. So after this uh, initial kind of wintry blast here, it looks like we're getting back into fall weather for a while. Exactly. Huh? Yeah, it's not going to last long. Uh, uh, tomorrow going to be a completely different day, about 20 degrees warmer. So any kind of Veterans Day activities going on are uh, going to be a great day for that few bumps in the roads with a cold front on Thursday that will cool our temperatures slightly and otherwise dry and much warmer as we head towards next week. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page, krvn.com. We're now a week post-election, and the talk about what's going to happen with regulations is circulating around the mainstream media. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Mary Kay Thatcher is the senior lead of federal government relations with Syngenta. She talks about these regulations and President-elect Biden. I think Biden also will be very pushed by the progressive side of the Democrats to uh, rule uh, in their favor on executive orders and new regulations. And certainly when you come to agriculture, and we think one of the Issues that triggered farmers most in this election was what's going to happen at EPA? Uh, will a new administrator roll back some of those regulations that uh, Trump put in place that we really like? Things like Waters of the U.S., things like approving the registration of dicamba. What will happen? Um, I think the president will negotiate what he can in, in legislation and he will pass rules on some other things. But that's no different. You know, you think at the the Trump administration rolled a lot back a lot of the Obama administrations, the Obama administration before that. And keep in mind, one of the big things, and this is getting into the technicalities, but those of you who work in politics on a daily basis will remember we do have something called the Congressional Review Act. Which means they can look at regulations and overturn them. Uh, with only a majority in the Senate and the House, for up to 60 legislative days. Well, because the House and Senate haven't been in session very much, those 60 legislative days will actually reach back to July 1st of 2020. So there's gonna be plenty of opportunities for them to look at major regs, those over 100 million, and decide to pull them back. Now, will they do that when they have other priorities they need to work on, uh, the COVID stimulus bill, climate change, uh, whatever it may be, I think they'll have to take all of those things into consideration too. So they're not going to spend all their time thinking about the Congressional Review Act, 
but I think they'll pick out whatever it is, two, three, five regulations that really kind of uh, catch them wrong, and they will indeed try to uh, come in early in the session and roll those back. And Mary Kay said, when it comes to those platforms, you need to look beyond Democratic or Republican. And I think what you have to remember with the Democratic platform is that um, uh, that probably would have worked if you'd had a a Senate that was controlled by the Democrats, but we continue to have a Senate that's presumably going to be controlled by the Republicans. And so Mitch McConnell is going to say no to a lot of those things in the Democratic platform. We look at taxes. We look at the idea that uh, president or uh, president elect or presumably president elect Biden will uh, uh, raise taxes on people that make more than four hundred thousand dollars. Will change capital gains. Will change estate taxes. Will increase corporate taxes. Well, were those things in his platform? Yes, but is that something a Republican Senate is going to be for? No. So uh, I think we have to keep reminding ourselves that just because it's in the platform, that's not likely uh, the outcome, and it will require negotiations. Are there any other priorities that the president-elect might be looking at when it comes to agriculture? I would anticipate that there will continue to be uh, tension with China, and that Biden will be part of that, but that he will move back to what was more a a normal or a usual way of doing business with China or Russia or other countries like that. And he will instead engage our friends, be it the European Union, be it Australia, be it Canada, et cetera, to go and engage China as a group. Those comments with Mary Kay Thatcher. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Twelve twenty-four. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's our sports director, Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, the MIAA released its preseason women's and men's basketball polls today. The UNK women are picked to finish second in the league standings, while the men are tenth. Emporia State is a favorite to win the women's championship. Fort Hay State is picked to finish fifth. Now, for the men, Northwest Missouri, who's won the league title seven years in a row, is a big-time favorite. Fort Hay State is picked seventh. The UNK women and men are set to start the season next Thursday at home against Emporia State. We will have those games for you on 93.1 The River and 106.9 in Kearney. The Golden Window Classic, a multi-team college basketball event, will be held in Lincoln, Pinnacle Bank Arena, and the Bob DeBanny Sports Center, November 25th through the 29th. This year's event will feature some of the top teams in college basketball, including LSU, St. Louis, Northern Iowa, Nebraska, and many more. Tickets will go on sale this week for the event for the games at Pinnacle Bank Arena only, and the arena will be open to 25% capacity. Fans will not be allowed at the Devaney Sports Center. Associated Press's preseason top 25 college basketball poll has Gonzaga number one for the first time. Baylor was a close second, followed by Villanova and Virginia. Iowa is fifth behind National Player of the Year contender Luca Garza. The rest of the top ten has KU, Wisconsin, Illinois, Duke, and Kentucky. Speaking of Duke, the Blue Devils say they will open up basketball and winter sports seasons without fans in attendance. School announced a decision today. It's an extension of the plan that's been in place for football and other fall sports due to the pandemic. 
Blue Devils football team is playing in an empty stadium in Durham, North Carolina, featuring only fan cutouts in the stands. Well, the attorney representing eight black former Iowa football players who allege racial discrimination during their time with the Hawkeyes withdrew his client's demand for a $20 million settlement. DeMario Solomon Simon says he will still move forward with the lawsuit. The players' initial demands also called for the firings of head coach Kirk Ferentz, offensive line coach Brian Ferentz, and athletic director Gary Barta. That is a look at sports. For more, you can find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Twenty twenty has been a difficult year for everyone, and now producers turn their attention to next year and what the carryover will be as they set their budgets. On our next Rural Radio Forum, we'll delve into farm financing during the COVID pandemic. To understand the obstacles and strategies for twenty twenty one, we'll hear from decision makers across Nebraska: Dustin O'Hanlon of O'Hanlon Seeds in Lexington, Jason Smith of F and M Bank in West Point, and Bruce Everly of Robo Bank. It's the Rural Radio Forum, November seventeenth, three p.m. Central, two p.m. Mountain Time on KR. It is time for us to take a look at our news and see what's going on around the world and around our area, and that means it's time for Ellen Simmons. Hello, Ellen. Hello. How are you? Today? I'm good. How are you? We don't get to do uh, this a whole lot again, so but uh, you know that's okay. We get we kick Tyler <laughs> to the curb once in a while, and yes. we get to do that. So, anyway, you got lots of news ahead of you. Go ahead. Well, Governor Pete Ricketts on Monday announced new directed health measures to slow the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. Ricketts invited Kurt Brasher, uh, Vice President of for Institutional Advancement at Concordia University in Seward, to talk about his own battle with COVID-19 and the scary symptoms he experienced from it. Brasher says all the guidelines from the governor and health experts are important. My encouragement is don't let your guard down. It's not about living in fear. It's about simply taking the protocols that have been talked about, the governor's mentioned throughout, um, to go through this. Take steps to protect yourselves and the loved ones that you care about. Rickett says the new directed health measures will go into effect at 12 a.m. Wednesday. They include putting back into place a six a six feet of separation rule for organizations such as for gyms, bars, restaurants, and churches. Masks will be required for customers and workers in businesses such as massage therapy, tattoo parlors, where there is close contact for 15 minutes or more. Eight people per table in restaurants, six feet of distance between tables and restaurants. People in restaurants and bars must be seated unless standing up to order or using the restroom for indoor activities such as club sports. Fans are limited to family members of participants. People not in the same family must maintain six feet distant distance, excuse me, and indoor gatherings and must go to twenty five percent of capacity. This will include arenas, zoos, aquariums, indoor theaters. Dancing will be allowed at wedding receptions, but you have to stay at your table. And Governor Ricketts said that he is not considering a statewide mask mandate. He said he believes the mandate makes people not want to wear them. In other news for the Nebraska governor, Ricketts and First Lady Susan Shore have gone into quarantine after both were exposed to a person with the coronavirus. Ricketts spokesman Taylor Gage says Ricketts and Shore had dinner outside with three other people on Sunday night. One of the people who was with them tested positive for the coronavirus on Monday. Gage says Ricketts and Shore will quarantine for 14 days. Neither is showing any symptoms and both will get tested. Nebraska has seen a recent record-setting surge in new known virus cases and hospitalizations prompting Ricketts to reimpose some of the public health mandates that were lifted in September.
State Senator Lynn Walls of Fremont has been reelected to another term in District 15 in Dodge County. Senator Walls says she has a better understanding of things now than she did when she was first elected. Going into my second term, I feel way more confident just because I've had, you know, the experience now. I understand the issues more than I did my first term. I understand how procedures work, and I am so excited to be able to represent my constituents in District 15 as well as the state of Nebraska as a whole. Wall says the biggest success of the, of the last legislative session was passing the property tax relief package. Well, you can find more news at krvn.com. Got to interview Lynn Walls a couple times. Very nice lady. Just just truly a very nice, nice lady. I got a question, though. Uh, according to the latest DHMs, you're allowed to dance, but you got to do it at your table? Yeah, I don't understand that. <laughs> I thought about that as I read it. I'm like, hmm. Ta- okay. Table dancing. You just boogie, boogie in your... Okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks, Ellen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to part two of our conversation with our guests from the National Milk Producers Federation. Uh, We're once again joined by Jamie Jonker, who is the Vice President of Sustainability and Scientific Affairs, and also Michaela Hanselman. Uh, She is the Manager of Regulatory Affairs, both with the Federation. We left off our conversation yesterday talking about your guys' virtual cheese contest, and today... We're kind of going to transition our conversation from the cheese contest and how that fits into the status of the U.S. dairy industry. So, uh, Jamie, we'll begin this conversation with you. As you've seen the dairy industry decline in the number of small family farms and, you know, subsequently an increase in the bigger farms, what are some of the things that you've been hearing from dairy producers that they're looking forward to in the U.S. dairy industry? You know, I, I think one thing that uh, um, we have to recall is that consolidation has been happening for about 100 years, not just in dairy, but across all agriculture. Um, still about 97.5%, 98% of dairy farms are family-owned. It's just that sometimes those family farms look different than, than uh, what a farm did 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, so I think we need to keep that in mind. You know, that being said, certainly the places that uh, people are eating cheese and drinking dairy and having ice cream are certainly right now a lot different than they were back before March. Um, and, you know, we've seen an amazing transformation in how and where food is being delivered uh, to folks. Used to be about 50% of, uh, of uh, consumer dollars on dairy were spent out. Um, that's dramatically changed. It's, uh, the vast majority is now done at the uh, supermarket or through online food deliveries. Um, that being said, it's interesting. We've seen a return back to um, milk drinking. Milk consumption has been on decline for about 40 years in the U.S. Uh, and this year it looks like we're actually going to probably have about a 4% increase. Not a, not a large amount, um, but very different than the 2 to 5% decrease we've been seeing annually. Um, you know, I think that, that consumers are recognizing the nutritional package that milk has with nine essential nutrients. Um, but also in, in times when, when folks are looking for, um, you know, kind of more comfort, um, returning to that sit-down dinner, milk with cereal in the morning, I think those things are changing some of the consumer uh, attitudes about dairy as part of, part of their diet. Uh, and I think more importantly, 
um, it's still recognized that dairies should be an important part of the diet. And so I think there's a bright future for uh, U.S. dairy farmers from small to large. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, this type of pandemic uh, gives us an opportunity to look at what have we been doing and what might we be doing in the future. And it's a great time to, uh, to uh, be introspective and, and help determine uh, for each dairy farmer on their own business where they want to be in the future. Awesome. And that goes right into, Michaela, what I was going to ask you. Uh, taking in mind uh, the dairy industry and the things that you want to keep doing in the future, uh, how do you see everything that you've done this year impacting cheese contests in the future? Wow, that's a great question. Well, Jamie and I have definitely like joked about this a little bit. We're hoping next year we'll go back to, obviously, the in-person cheese contest and being in one place together. Um, I think this year just made it really made us realize how much our co-ops really love the cheese contest because they were so willing to continue to compete in it even with the changes. And also, we changed the categories a little bit around this year just to make things simpler. And so we'll probably look at that. And maybe we also discussed adding a few categories and then also adding in another best out category because there's a few classes that we realized don't get a chance to enter the best of. So for our best ofs, it's like you have a best of cheddar because there's mild, medium, sharp, and extra sharp. And then you have a best Italian for the mozzarella provolone and then hard and mold ripened Italian. But there's other classes like the natural or the Swiss that don't get included in that. So I think we're going to add more classes, maybe. I don't know. Jamie might have different feelings about that because it is a big undertaking. Yeah, for sure. Jamie, is there anything you wanted to add on that? Yeah, you know, I think it has given us time as staff to also do that introspective review of, of you know, how we run things for the various meetings that we have, including what we do for the cheese contest. And I think Michaela's right. You know, our dairy cooperatives were very eager to participate in this year's virtual contest. Um, it allows us some opportunities for some flexibility that uh, we wouldn't have guessed we would have had if we didn't, if we weren't presented with this challenge. And uh, we had uh, 85% of our members that normally enter the contest enter the contest this year. Uh, so again, it's a demonstration that that uh, you know they're really interested in what we do, and finding a way to be able to do it for them was important. And I do think we'll probably have some changes to the categories and classes next year, um, both as a result of uh, of what we needed to do for a virtual cheese contest, but also things that will help improve and enhance the contest for when we move back to having it in person and having our cheese reception. That the only thing we were unable to pull off this year was the virtual cheese reception. Um, we usually have about, uh, about 90, 90 uh, different cheeses out for the cheese reception, um, 800 dairy farmers and, and uh, uh, allied industry um, going through the cheeses. And of course, second guessing the judges. Did the judges get it right? Um, everybody has their opinions, certainly. Um, for, for dairy farms that belong to co-ops that manufacture some cheese that enter the contest, they may have slightly biased opinions about whether or not their cheese should have won. Um, that's probably the, the only thing that I wish we could have figured out how to do with the virtual cheese contest, but be able, to be able to get 90 different samples of cheese to 800 or more people, that's even more of a logistical challenge. 
Absolutely. Well, Jamie and Michaela, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, That's been Jamie Jonker and Michaela Hanselman for part two of our discussion about the National Milk Producers Federation Virtual Cheese Contest. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. The big rally for markets worldwide is slowing, but optimism remains high that the global economy may still be on track for a return to normal. It's the second straight day that rising hopes for a COVID-19 vaccine have investors reordering which stocks they see winning and losing. And the rotations are leaving U.S. stock indexes mixed in early afternoon trading. Treasury yields and oil are holding most of their big gains from a day before or adding a little more amid the increased confidence in the economy. The S&P 500 was one-tenth percent higher, though the small movement belied plenty of churning underneath. American employers advertised slightly more jobs in September but hired fewer people as the U.S. economy struggles to recover from last spring's coronavirus collapse. The Labor Department says job postings rose to 6.44 million in September, up from 6.35 million in August. Employers hired 5.87 million workers, down from 5.95 million in September. There's some good business news for the community of Blair and Nebraska in general. Governor Pete Ricketts relayed news of Dollar General Corporation's plans to build a state-of-the-art distribution center in Blair. The facility, which will include dual capabilities between the company's dry and DG fresh supply chain operations, represents an $85 million investment from the major retailer in Washington County and is expected to create 400 new jobs at full capacity. Construction is scheduled to begin next month with completion slated for 2022. Ford plans to add 350 jobs at two U.S. factories to meet expected demand for electric vehicles that haven't gone on sale yet. The automaker saying today will add 150 workers at its Kansas City assembly plant in Claycomo, Missouri. Another 200 workers will be hired at Ford's Electric Vehicle Center in Dearborn, Michigan. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Our journey has ended, and KRBN, The River, and Cami congratulate Rodney Barwick of Orleans. Awesome, awesome. Man, that just made my year. <laughs> this is great. He's the new winner of the 2020 Chevrolet Blazer, blazing new trails thanks to these sponsors. Lexington Regional Health Center, Cornerstone Bank, member FDIC, with 43 locations serving Nebraska, Nutrien Ag Solutions, and Heartland Chevrolet and Buick, Lexington. Watch the giveaway on the Fun and Games page at KRBN. Knowing the right conditions for fall field work. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. As harvest is drawing to a conclusion across Nebraska, many producers will now look toward fall field work, including applying in hydrus. Late last week, I caught up with Aaron Nigren, a Nebraska Extension educator, to discuss what to look for when determining the right conditions. I think just the one thing about fall application, you know, we, we do it a lot because anhydrous typically is cheaper this time of year. It spreads out the workload. Um, but we want to try to move toward a direction where we, we maybe reduce the amount that we rely on that. So maybe we look at doing more of a split application. We put down a base rate in the fall and then come back with something in season. We've just seen that today's hybrids, they need more nitrogen later in the season. So we'll always worry with, you know, anhydrous ammonia. If we put all up on, on the 
in the fall, are we going to have enough left by the time we get to the end of the season? So, like I say, I know there's lots of reasons we do it. Just we like to start moving in a direction, you know, using more variable rate, um, looking at inhibitors. So there's things we can do to, to increase um, the chance of that nitrogen being there. Just try to be good stewards, I think, is the main thing. What are some of the factors is when we talk about too dry at the moment, how do you know if it's too dry or what are the things you look for in a field to know whether you should be able to apply or not? The big thing is you, you don't want to see a lot of clods. You know, if, if you're using a shank, um, you know, and, and you're seeing a lot of clods and that looks like it's not really maybe sealing there, um, those clods will let the ammonia actually escape. Um, so we want to avoid that. Um, you know, so if you're pulling up some big chunks, things like that, if you're breaking bolts, probably a sign maybe we should hold off for now. Um, the other challenge then, you know, we have a fair amount of guys using uh, more of just a coulter system anymore. Um, so with those, we want to make sure we're getting, we can still get deep enough that we're going to get that sealed. Um, since ammonia is going to move somewhat in the soil, as it is drier, it's going to move a little bit more. Well, I'm sure another thing to, to think about this time of year is the soil temp and uh, looking for right conditions on that front as well. Tell us what is the right soil temp we should be looking for, and I know UNL has a few resources out there for producers on that front. So our, our what we always recommend is you want 50 degrees or colder, um, and, and 50 degrees and then trending cooler. We don't want to say yeah, it's 49 and it's trending back up. So um, the reason we do that, that slows down the ammonification, or excuse me, the nitrification process. Um, so that makes sure that that, ammonium stays in the soil um, when, when it's in the ammonium form it's held by our soil particles so then we can't lose that to uh, to leaching loss as it does when it converts to nitrate typically a lot of nrds will maybe have a november 1st um, you know you can't apply until then anyway because that's typically when our soils are going to get that 50 degree or cooler temperature i've seen some producers also uh with with some nice weather here spreading dry fertilizer. Is there any considerations uh, producers should be thinking about if they're doing that application method? Really, you know, um, the main thing there is just sometimes wonder, you know, if we spread in the fall, do we count that nitrogen or not? Now, given how dry we are, um, the chances of, of a lot of leaching losses or some of that um, nitrate that might be present in that is, is fairly low. Um, so I, I would much rather do it now um, before we have you know, frozen soil and snow on the ground, then we see a lot of times in the winter we'll be spreading on, on snow. We always worry about that because that has a bigger potential loss. You know, if that's sitting on top and then we get that rapid uh, warm-up and, and we get some water moving, then we might see some loss. But right now is really a, a pretty good time for, for dry fertilizer. Nebraska Extension Educator Aaron Nigren, our guest here on the Rural Radio Network as we discuss the right conditions for fall field work. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Tuskip reporting.